podcasting from the Star Group, home of the iconic Dressable Lions. This is Beyond the Known, the podcast that takes you a step beyond what you know about business. I'm your host, Paul M. Newberger, president of the Star Group. On today's episode of Beyond the Known, our guest is Sister Edna Lonergan, founder and president of St. Anne's Center for Intergenerational Care. Sister Edna, wonderful to have you on the program today. Thank you, Paul. It's wonderful to be here. To get us going here, Sister, I'm curious, how did you come to join the Sisters of St. Francis? Well, a lot of people ask me that, Paul, for some reason or another. They're intrigued, I guess. (laughs) And, you know, the Sisters of St. Francis of Assisi had their administration building here in Milwaukee. And we were known to care for children with developmental disabilities and primarily Down syndrome. And when they were looking around for another place to do that, there was a someone who offered or, or gave them an old mansion in Braintree, Massachusetts. And so they opened the school for 20 boys and it was a residence and it was a lot of work for three sisters. And so, but they did a beautiful job educating these boys, most of whom had Down syndrome. And so my family decided, mostly my mom, that the sisters had too much work and so that we should go up and help them. So our whole family went up and helped them on Saturdays. And my job was tie a rag around my shoes and polish the floor. That's about all I could do. And then I played with the boys. And that had a very interesting experience for me because these boys uh, were very difficult. They had a lot of difficulty playing baseball. And of course I had two older brothers and I never won. And so When I did win, I was pretty excited because these were boys. And so I ran to tell my mother that I beat them in baseball. And she took me aside and started telling me that these were very special boys. So she explained that to me and how much they would appreciate it if I sometimes let them win. So I grew up with that philosophy that it's, it's good to step aside and let others win. And then sometimes both are successful. And I have a beautiful story to tell about that. We have a boy with, well, he's actually not a boy. He's in his 20s, I'd say. And his friend is from our buddy program, which takes boys and girls between the ages of 11 and 15. And they play dominoes when they get together. Every week they play dominoes. So I watch this. They usually play outside my window here. And I was watching them play, and a little while later, I asked the boy with, and that's from our buddy program, I said, you know, I bet you always win. And he looked at me in utter amazement, and he said, oh, no, no, sister, I always let him win. And I thought for a young boy to grow up knowing that winning is all something that is not always winning, that, you know, letting someone else win is a greater win. And it brought me back to my childhood. I just had to digress a little bit. But so, you know, I was very pleased with the sisters' lives. I really wanted to have that kind of dedication in my life as well. So one day, one of the sisters asked me if I'd like to go to the convent in Milwaukee. And I just said, simply, sure. And so the rest is history. Yeah, and I love listening to you tell that story, sister, because you got a spark 
about you. You've got a passion for this. It's impossible to hide. It's very hard to ignore. And just listening to you talk puts a smile on my face. And so you walked us through the background here. You kind of gave us the history of how you came to join the Sisters of St. Francis. But what I'd be interested in then with this follow-up question here is the why. Of all the things you could be passionate about, why are you so passionate about about helping children with developmental disabilities? You know, I think I want a sense of purpose my entire life. I want to have a purpose in life. And I get out of bed and I have that luxury. I know I'm needed, I'm wanted, perhaps sometimes respected. And I just, and I enjoy it. I enjoy it. I love being creative and I love figuring out a way that we can help someone who can't communicate or just knowing and analyzing the functional ability of a child and being able to encourage to do better. There's something about, there's something I learned in religious life, and it was called creating a caring community. That is our Franciscan way. And creating a caring community means that everybody wins and everybody has opportunity to develop their potential. This is what I get excited about is being able to go to work and know that I can affect that in what I do. Yeah, and I would wholeheartedly agree with that. I do know some people, as I'm sure you do as well, sister, that haven't been blessed in that regard, where where they haven't found their purpose. They feel lost. They feel adrift. They're searching for what God's calling in their life is. And I know this might be tough, especially because there's a lot of different people out there that have a lot of different backgrounds and a lot of different areas of expertise. But generally speaking, coming from someone who has found her purpose in life, who's touched a lot of lives in the process, how would you advise someone to go about finding their purpose in life? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that, but I know that if I'm interested in that person finding their purpose in life, or perhaps I pray for that person to find their purpose in life, I know that they will be happier. You know, it reminds me, and I love to tell stories, Paul, so I don't mean to bore you, but I love stories that, you know, just lift the human spirit. And I think of Mary. Mary was a pediatric nurse when, and she lost both legs due to diabetes. So I remember her first day and I remember going to say hello to her and welcome her and whatnot. And she looked at me and, and just cried, just tears in her eyes. She said, you know, I have no sense of purpose anymore. I have no sense of purpose. So I felt really bad about that. I didn't know how to respond to that except to say, well, we're very happy that you're here and with us. But later on that afternoon, the three-year-olds went to visit her group. And it was kind of nap time, so they were real sleepy. But anyway, Michael, little Michael, age three, found her lap. And he jumped up on her lap, curled up in her limited lap, and fell asleep. And I walked past her and I smiled because it was the cutest thing you'd ever want to see. And she said, you know, I do have a purpose now. So, you know, everybody, if we just imagine, everybody has a purpose. You know, I think of one of our 70-year-olds who was born with cerebral palsy. He couldn't talk anymore. And 
So Billy, who's now become a doctor, who was working as a therapy aide, just fell in love with this client. And she, he, with all his technology, being so young and youthful and nothing like me, he got out, he, he taught him how to do FaceTime. And it was just, it just opened a whole new door for him because now he can communicate, you know, on his pad. And he does communicate. He's a big, big talker. But, you know, it's on this pad. And so you can't show me one person that we can't find a sense of purpose for because it just isn't. There's always something that lifts the human spirit if we try hard enough. Well, a big amen to that, sister, that's for sure. And first and foremost, you never have to apologize for sharing stories here on Beyond the Known. We love stories, and I know you're one of the greatest storytellers around. So feel free to spin as many yarns as you want, sister Edna. You've got a captive audience on this end of the microphone, that's for sure. So we touched on some of this already, but I'd be interested in your specific thoughts as it pertains to a little bit about your background. So you've got a varied background. And I wonder how your experience as a nurse, occupational, and massage therapist, how did that shape your passion for really caring about people? Well, if you think about it, Paul, you think about being a massage therapist, you're really healing a lot of hurts. You think about nursing, you're helping someone get well or pass on. And you think about occupational therapy. That's helping people be all they can be. So they all have similarities. They all are helping them be their best self. And so I don't know why I went to school for as long as I did. I thought I would never stop. But anyway, there was just so much more to learn and so much more to do. And I had so many plans and designs and whatnot. So But all three of those were the healing professions, and I knew that I could help better people's lives with those professions. Yeah, and that you're certainly doing that extremely admirably, to say the least. Now, it's one thing to help people. It's another thing to kind of be a bit of an entrepreneur to some degree, and, and you have worn both of those hats, maybe not in the traditional sense of an entrepreneur, but I mean, you came up with the idea for this intergenerational care home. A lot of people have ideas, but not everybody acts on those ideas. Not everybody follows through on those ideas. You have succeeded in doing that. And I'm wondering what we can learn from you in that regard. So can you tell us another story, please, Sister Edna, about how you came to the idea for this intergenerational care home? Sure. I love to tell stories the story of how actually it all happened. But I go way, way back to like about 1984, 85. And, you know, I already had a fair number of older adults and I started a daycare with just adults. And I watched them, you know, have all their needs met and whatnot, but there was something missing. And I did have to hire more staff because This was a good deal. They could come and they could get a bath. They could get PT, OT, speech therapy, social recreational opportunities and whatnot. But there still was something missing. And so whenever the school was out, I lost my staff because most of them, my staff were moms and they had to stay home and take care of their children. 
So I said to them one day, out of frustration, why don't you bring them with you? And so then you can only imagine that magic happened because it did. And the adults, older adults, started teaching them how to fish, how to fly or cast a fly or whatever you call it, and how to have a tea party, how to do certain exercises. And, you know, there was a lot of teaching of children, a lot of interest in the children. And the older adults just seemed to come alive. And so then one day I was standing next to Frank. Frank was one of our first clients and he had had a stroke and but he also had these grand mal seizures. They were awful. I mean, they were really grand. They were grand mal seizures. And he usually had them a couple of times a week, even. And so when he did, you know, you could see all the tremors starting and he would fall asleep for the rest of the day. It was just awful. And so I was standing next to him and I, cause I could see his body starting to tremor and I just stood next to him so he wouldn't get hurt. And not Kathy, little Kathy, age three, who had been coming since she was a baby, who loved Frank, always stood by him because Frank would take her for wheelchair rides. She jumped up in his lap. She took her tiny arms and wrapped around his big chest and all his symptoms stopped. And he never had his grandma seizure that day. So I knew something was going on here that I was missing. I had to look closely, and it was the presence of that child with the older adult, with Frank. Big Frank and little Kathy. So, you know, I thought then and there, why are we isolating the age groups? You know, the older adults have so much to give to the children. And according to Generations United, the older adults are nine, live, what is it, three years longer in the presence of children. And the, old, and the children have about nine months ahead of development before they start kindergarten because of the presence of the adults. This has been proven by Generations United. So why are we isolating them? Why not bring them together? So I thought, I'm gonna build, I'm gonna build, I don't know how, but we're gonna build an intergenerational facility. I had a clue what that was or what it would look like. But so, I kept that in the back of my mind until I ran into a very, very special person called Marty Stein. Marty Stein owned Stein Opticals and drugstores before that. And so he had a lot of business ability and a lot of ability to raise money. So that was a long, long story from then until he finally said, okay, I'll help you raise the money to build an intergenerational facility. And I thought, now what am I going to do? I don't know how to build one. So I tootled around the country and I looked for intergenerational models. Well, there weren't any. There were maybe a a senior center that went and played with children at the school or something similar to that, an elderly housing who invite children in. But that's not what I was looking for. I looked for a design that would help develop friendships between the elderly and the children not just something once a month or, you know, twice a year or something, but every day to develop real genuine friendships. And so I found an Irish architect who studied Frank Lloyd Wright in Ireland. I thought, that's a good combination. The Irish tend to think outside the box. So I and my staff met with this architect for two years every single week until we came up with an intergenerational model. I like it. 
It's very replicable too. And we have replicated it in the poorest area and one of the most enriched and wonderful area of the of Central City. And that's 53206. So it's been a you know really exciting journey designing and seeing what works and what doesn't work. And I think we've got a very, very good model. It's not done yet. I have more plans, but it's a good model. I would That's say, a long story, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, as I said, you and I are a good combination. We love stories on Beyond the Known, and you are an expert storyteller. So this is a good combination. It strikes me that society could learn a lot from this intergenerational model. And the only reason I say that is it does seem like from time to time there's this us versus them mentality in society rich versus poor male versus female black versus white maybe there's politicians business community whatever that maybe adds fuel to that fire but a lot of times you're hearing keep them separate keep them apart put them in various buckets and leave them there and obviously this intergenerational care model is substantially different what lessons do you think society at large could learn from this intergenerational model that you help develop well, first of all, I would try and find out what worries them. You know, why? What worries them? I mean, didn't they ever enjoy a grandma or a grandpa or a great aunt? I mean, every Saturday that I could, I would go and play canasta with my grandmother. You know, or I'd sit out on the patio and watch the, the lightning from the rain sitting with my grandpa because he loved it. You know, I had good experiences to draw upon. Maybe they haven't had good experiences. Maybe that's their problem. Maybe they think that older adults are maybe, I hate to even think of the horror of maybe being unkind to a child, but I have never, ever, ever experienced that in all these years. You know, if it's not appropriate, you know, for their disability or whatever, but even a I think of Dragana. Dragana has no, she can't see, she's blind. She's in a wheelchair, she can't walk, she can't talk. And we put her by the ball pit where the children were jumping in and out and she could hear that and she could hear their laughter. And one little two-year-old, a two-year-old went up and brushed her hand and said, baby, you know, no, Dragana's in her 30s. You know, she, we would consider her an adult and a two-year-old. And for every adult that we have here, we have four staff. We have, it's a one to four stations, staff ratio. I'm sorry, ratio. So for every child that we have, for every four children that we have, we have a staff. And for every four clients that we have, we have a nursing assistant. So it's not that they're not watched they're watched carefully, but not because they're injurious to one another, but just because they're in our care. And we want them to have the best relational opportunity that's possible. Did that answer your question somewhat? Yeah, I wouldn't even say somewhat. I would say that that answered my question totally. And I certainly do appreciate that. And one of the things that gets me excited in speaking with you, sister, is not only have you accomplished a lot, but it kind of reminds me of the famous words from Bachman Turner Overdrive. Baby, you ain't seen nothing yet. But I'll be honest, Sister Edna, you piqued my curiosity. You said you're not done. 
What are some of these exciting new developments that we can expect in the ensuing months and years? Well, when we built the second model, it had to be different because it's in the poorest area of the state. So you need more wraparound services. You know, when a person from, let's say, 53206 zip code goes to work, they can't be leaving work to take care of mom or dad or a child even. Of course, if they're sick, it's different. But for the most part, we have a medical clinic. We have a dental clinic for people with disabilities. We have PT, OT, speech therapy, music therapy, massage therapy. You know, we have overnight respite. So if, you know, you're getting a little tired with caregiving, you can go on vacation and leave your loved one with us up to 28 days. We have daycare services. We have salon services. We have a pool with children can learn how to swim. So, you know, we have a lot of services, and but it's not enough. It's not enough. And so I want to keep on, I want to keep working at making it the best we can in both facilities until we've reached, arrived at what would really be replicable. So like, for instance, on the north side, there's somewhat of a food desert. You know, when it comes to really good, fresh produce, it's expensive. It's expensive to eat well. It really is. So we are building these hydroponic, we're not going to build them, we're going to purchase hydroponic systems. So we can have fresh vegetables and fruit year-round. And we're going to build 27 raised gardens. And we're going to get some of our children out there with their little tiny gloves and their little tiny shovels and they're gonna help us build those gardens. And there's many other groups that are going to help us. And of course we have hired staff that are going to help us. We're not gonna overwork the children. We just want them to learn how to grow the vegetables so they'll appreciate them. And the other thing is that, that bothers me is, you know, when you go to the playground and grandma's taken a grandchild or mom and dad's taken a, a child, what do they do? They sit and they watch their children play. Now, when I take a child to a park, I wish I could slide down the slide and climb up the jungle gym with them, but, you know, it just doesn't seem appropriate. But I do it anyway. But I was thinking, (laughs) why not have an intergenerational play garden? So this is what we are developing, and it'll be open in June. And they're all little houses, but they're not so small. A wheelchair can get in. So that the adults have to be present with the children, and, and in every house, there's a lesson for them to be learned in a fun way. Like the castle is going to teach them leadership. Dinosaur house is going to teach them how to be tenacious, how to hold on to their dreams and not let go of them. The fairy house is going to teach them imagination, how to think outside the box. And then there's a reading corner. And then with their, we're partnering partly with the Urban Ecology Center so that the children really learn how to grow. And, oh, then there's the teapot house. And the teapot house is going to teach them social skills. So the children and the adults have to be together and going into all these little houses. And in every little house, there's a task to be developed that will help develop all these nice little nurturing things. And then as well, of course, have fun. 
Yeah, boy, that sounds awfully exciting. And not even just for development of the children. As an adult myself, I think from time to time, I need my own dinosaur house. I need my own fairy house. I could probably learn a lot by going through an exercise like that as well. And boy, what a blessing that's going to be for the children that experience that. And that's something that we're excited about and that we're definitely going to have to watch very closely. And if you don't already do enough Sister Edna, and you are an extremely humble, salt-of-the-earth person, so I will brag on you a little bit. In addition to touching lives, in addition to the great stuff that you've done with the, you know, your background personally and professionally, with all the lives that St. Anne Center is touching every single day, I certainly also understand that you make jewelry to help pay for people who cannot (laughs) afford baths. That's fascinating. Can you describe what that is and full disclosure i used to work at st thomas more high school which was one of the neighbors of st ann center for the longest time and sister edna's jewelry is legendary so can you talk a little bit about that uh, where this came from and how your jewelry helps people afford baths well way 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 in the beginning paul of course i constantly needed money to take care of the people we were serving so i would have rummage sales And at the end of the rummage sale, I would just send everything else, either give it away or give it to Goodwill or someplace like that if it didn't sell. But the jewelry I kept until the next sale because it was easy to store. It was small items. Well, people didn't realize that they were giving us gold. I mean, real gold and real silver, you know, and... It would be like a a stud that was on the back of an earring or a clasp on the back of a necklace or something like that, but it all adds up. And so I just kept on selling the jewelry. I would skip the other things and sell the jewelry. And so as I looked at the jewelry, I thought, you know, I can make this. So, So I can take some of these pieces apart and I can use the latches and I can use the beads and remake it, make it more contemporary. Or I can take some money and buy new beads and make more jewelry. And so it was fairly lucrative. I, you know, I would take it to farmers markets in the summertime and take it, you know, to craft sales and things of that sort. And I would say, for every $20 you spend, I can afford to give someone a bath who can't afford it. That's where the money goes. It helps to afford a bath. We do over 600 baths a month. And You know, that having a bath in our wonderful handicap accessible tubs really can raise the dignity of an individual, make them feel really good. So it's worth the $20 necklace. So I usually can sell them. I not because they're good, but just because people feel sorry for me, I think. (laughs) So anyway. Well, again, your humility precedes you. If you're listening to this and you haven't looked at a piece of jewelry made by Sister Edna Lonergan, you owe yourself a treat to take a look at it. These are very nice pieces of jewelry. And again, she's been able to generate a good amount of revenue that she then obviously in turn turns around and and helps touch the lives of others. It's a really remarkable thing that you're doing. As we get ready to wrap up our time together, I'm sure by now people understand the mission of St. Anne Center. You've inspired them in numerous ways for sure. So what if they're compelled to take action right now? What if they want to assist you in your effort? What if they want to help further the mission of St. Anne Center? What would you say are the greatest needs of the organization at the present moment? 
Well, I do need these hydroponics. I do want to be able to provide fresh produce, you know, for, you know, year round. Like I said, we do over 600 baths a month and that's in each facility. So, you know, a lot of people cannot afford something so basic. I really would love to have a pool manager, you know, many children, particularly in the North area of town, some of them have never even seen the lake, let alone learn how to swim. So, you know, we have two beautiful, beautiful pools. And what I like about the Northside pool is that children can not only learn how to swim, but they can be competitive swimmers. We have two laps part of the pool. So, you know, these lessons don't come cheap. And so I'd like to have a pool manager who's also teaches how to swim. So, you know, there's that. So, there are so many needs. You know, I still have to buy rakes and shovels for the for the gardens, the 27 gardens. You could give the gift of your time. I'd love to have the gift of your time if you have any special expertise, you know, something and maybe you know how to build, maybe you know how good at the computer, you know, there's so many ways that you can help. One thing I haven't mentioned is that St. Anne's needs to be replicated. I have brought it to Taiwan, to Japan, to Europe, to Israel. It's not that well. I mean, I have a little opportunity here. I'm going to take it to Orange County, which is the poorest, the most homeless in the United States. And if we can build an intergenerational daycare there, Illumination Foundation would love to do that and I'd love to help that person. But all of this takes money, you know, so that I can continue helping people build them. I don't want to do it all myself. And this would really, really help our United States. It would prevent people from being institutionalized prematurely or institutionalized at all. It would keep our families together, keep older people around their friends and their neighborhoods and and all that's familiar to them. Why are we separating them? So we've got a lot to do. I would say so, but I would also look at that as a resounding call to action. Sister Edna has done a lot. The employees of St. Anne's Center have done a lot, but there is still a lot more work to do. And if you're listening to this and you want to be part of the solution, Sister Edna, where should they go? Who should they call? Do you have a phone number? Do you have a website? Where should we drive the listeners to this podcast if they want to be a part of that solution? Yes. Well, they could call the Stein Campus, which is on the south side, and they can, it's area code 414-977-5000. And if they want to volunteer, ask for Delma. At the Besiris Campus, that is area code 414. That's on the north side, 210-2450. And they can ask for Valerie. So if you want to place a loved one with you, we would love to have them. If you want to help out, we would love to have you. Well, and we've loved having you, Sister Edna. This has been an inspiring conversation. And boy, it's hard to believe I get paid to do this as president Mm -hmm. of the Star Group because I get so much out of these conversations. I get educated, inspired, motivated, and I have no doubt that our listeners to this podcast feel the exact same way. So Sister Edna Lonergan, founder and president of St. Anne Center for Intergenerational Care, thank you for your years of service. Thank you for your years of hard work. And 
Thank you for touching all the lives that you do. You've been a substantial blessing to society, to say the least. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Rachel. (laughs) It's been fun. I enjoyed it. Do come and visit us. Thank you, Paul. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Known with Paul M. Newberger. If you like our show and want to know more, check us out at stargroup.com. That's S-T-A-R-R-Group.com slash podcast. We're also available on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.